0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Guy Oliver's Top 5. Today my guest is the writer and curator George Vasey. Hello George.
1: Hello, how are you doing?
0: I'm good, how are you?
1: Good, good, yeah. It's uh, it's nice to be invited to be on the podcast um, and talk about football rather than art, which is normally the invitation.
0: Yeah, well yeah. They, might, they might coalesce the two uh, in bits of our discussion, but um, yeah. Yes, yeah, so, so I asked George to come up with uh, a top five list of his choosing. Uh, so George, would you like to introduce the subject you chose?
1: Yeah, well, when you sent me the email, I sort of immediately thought that um, it just sort of came to me to do my top five football tops. <laughs> um, um, obviously, being a big football fan um, and thinking that it felt suitably random, but an interesting way of talking about uh, thing you know, football and kind of aesthetics and I mm. uh, spent the last week. It's been quite nice to just sort of do some research and think about actually what are my top five football tops, which is more difficult than I thought it would be to be honest. Yeah, yeah.
0: well you're not the only one to have thought of it. There's quite a few kind of online lists and it's like a little mm-hmm. subgenre that fans like to sort of um you know like to be animated by and, you know, discuss. I think we should go straight into it uh what is your selection for number five?
1: Okay so at number five um I've got Manchester City Home Kit 1993 to 1995. Mm. Should I describe the kit because I realize that it's um I've chosen something really visual.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes it will test your your descriptive skills um Man City traditionally in sky blue um yeah yeah what makes that that particular kit uh so distinctive
1: well, it was funny because when I was sort of thinking about what, what makes a football top iconic or interesting, of course, it's the aesthetics. It looks really beautiful. But it's also kind of your associations um, with that team. Um, and, you know, I don't support Man City, but there's something about that top which feels quite iconic. So it's sky blue. It's a classic kind of umbro top. Um with a, with a kind of retro collar um, and the uh, logo on the front is Brother, which is a, I think is an electronics company. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I thought about it, uh, it immediately recalled this iconic image with um, uh, Liam Gallagher and Noel Gallagher. Uh, I think they're both wearing the Man City top and they're hugging. Yeah. So there was this yeah. com- confluence of kind of, I guess, you know, I'd have been about 12, 13, you know, I grew up in the 90s as a teenager, so it was kind of my generation, football, music, uh, coming together.
0: Um, yeah, I think we'd, we'd be about the same age then. Um, I've got a slight confession, because I, I actually came to football uh, relatively late, not till I was about 15 or so. Yeah. Uh, it was actually after the 98 World Cup that really hooked me into sort of domestic uh, football. So, yeah, I would have been well, you, more, more into... Uh, how, I'm thirty 37 now. Yeah,
1: thirty seven eighty nine.
0: Yeah, uh, I was definitely into Oasis more than I was into football uh, in '95. Uh, they they would have been my my main reference point for for who Man City was. Yeah, but um, yeah, they did make it quite cool as a football club at the time.
1: Well, the the football Man City were always cooler than Man United because they weren't very yeah. good yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's something about the underdog and um this is what i love about football you know w- when you're watching it there's always a team you're rooting for and it's normally the underdog you know um or the team that kind of play the most exciting they play to win and not play yeah, yeah. To kind of set up the other team to to lose um and man city were always just very average <laughs> but they were quite the you know the, the, if you met someone in manchester they, City, not Man United, and they dominated everything, you know. Yeah, yeah, uh,
0: yeah. at that time, I mean, uh, you know, it's easy to forget, you know, the superpower that they are now, but, you know, mm. they were a kind of yo-yo club. They used to spend more time in the, you know, in, in well, Division Two, whatever it was back then, mm. um, Championship.
1: They were, um, yeah, I don't know, I think they were bought out in 19, uh, in 2008, 2007. And, um, it's really interesting. I remember reading an article about it, and when they had that uh, serious investment um, from the Middle East, um, someone told me that they were that, they, that the investors were looking at Newcastle United. Really. Right. The reason Man City was they saw more global potential because of their rivalry with Man United. Oh, um, so and, interesting. Uh, yeah, so it was a kind of strategic and sort of the whole history of football with shifts in these kind of small strategic decisions that we don't really think about and they, I think Main Road, there was more kind of, um, they could make more money out of them basically and kind of see that yeah. as a global brand because, um, I mean, they are a completely different club now and in a way quite boring. I mean, I'm not I don't really uh, root for Man City to be honest.
0: No, it's sort of disheartening because it's so sort of transparent how uh... How money will just transform a club wholesale, mm. like it did. Money and success goes so sort so uh, sort of so, um, obviously linked as, with that as an experiment, with a sort of guinea pig case that it was an average club, and mm. overnight they became the richest club in the world.
1: And it's the same with Chelsea, and I think that um, it's a conversation that's becoming more apparent through kind of a, com- you know, so Newcastle United, a uh, uh, Saudi Arabian government are looking to buy out Newcastle, and yeah. a number of articles about sports washing and human rights abuses, and I'm really, I'm not, it's not even conflicted about it. It just feels really gross, to be honest, that football is being used, and they still see it as essentially, obviously, it's a huge multi-million pound business, but it's a it's a working class sport, yeah. and that sense of identity and location is something I've always been very drawn to football um, family.
0: So you you would rather see it not happen for your club?
1: No, to be honest. Um, I mean, I don't think um, Mike Ashley is a particularly nice person <laughs> either. <laughs> it's kind of um, his, his rampant sort of uh, terrible uh, practices with um, Sports Direct, but uh, I would rather... For me, it's not necessarily about winning, but sort of playing in st- playing with style. There's a sort of romanticism that I feel I attach to football. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'd like to win, <laughs> but I mean Newcastle. I can't remember the last time Newcastle actually won something. I think it was 1964.
0: But they they are a kind of there's a, there's a touch it? of glamour that always goes with oh, Newcastle. In the oh. and they, all, and they, they have traditionally played exciting football, so they, they, yeah. I, I I've always thought of them as a likable
1: team. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's important. I think um, that's what the fans kind of demand. In a way, more than winning the Premier League or more than winning the FA Cup, it's actually just playing exciting, attacking football. Um, yeah. And, you know, sort of, I, I get very pretentious about these things and kind of think and, and try and apply that to a kind of football, you know, and my methodology of my interest in football to kind of an art context and... You know, I believe that the art world should operate in the same way. You know, it's not about sort of supporting that one percent at the top, but thinking about the whole ecology. Um
0: yeah.
1: you know, I think not... in, a
0: sim- in a similar way, that, that I think fans and, and, and artists can often feel sort of compromised and, and um left in those sort of like morally dubious positions. I think 'cause the the art market is slightly um, you know, morally questionable about about the way it operates and who is operating within it, yeah. Um, and you sort of, you know, sometimes you feel sort of powerless within that sort of structure. Mm. I suppose football's a a bit like that, the fan feels quite disenfranchised about the way it's sort of moved, the way it's lurched towards such sort of like obscene levels of money and and a sort of corporatisation that's moved away from. Uh, it's sort of traditional fan
1: base. Mm. And I would imagine uh, the football economy is similar to the art world and it's completely unregulated. So mm. where people put huge amounts of money, um, I'm saying through sort of sports washing, I didn't think we'd go into a kind of political route. I mean, it's interesting <laughs> <laughs> where you start thinking about, you know, it's like when I was thinking about football tops, I was thinking, well, it sort of combines things I'm interested in, which are clothing, aesthetics, sort of social history and football and Football as a kind of link to thinking about uh, ideas of, of collectivism and, and and kind of um identity, and then that's I guess always goes to kind of political conversation, but yeah, I think that that man city top, I think it's the brother, I don't think it's a really beautiful logo. And I was kind of as I was researching the last week and looking at the kind of um how banal some of the this shirt sponsors were in the 80s and 90s, yeah, like um. JVC and uh, Candy and uh, what was the yeah, it was...
0: candy is a real kind of evocative one
1: but was yeah. it
0: a, a paint company or something?
1: I think so yeah Crown Paints I think Liverpool like the iconic Liverpool team in the late 80s were, were sponsored by Crown Paints
0: yeah <laughs> my my um my favourite of sort of like kind of ill chosen sponsors was um Arsenal in the mm. early 2000s had Dreamcast which was <laughs> short-lived Sega console uh, that nobody really bought. Um, I don't remember the Dreamcast, I mean that
1: must have been, mm, mm, there was a Sega Saturn, wasn't there?
0: Yeah, it, it was it, it was after the Saturn, and I think it was even uh, less popular than the Sega Saturn. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that must have been like 2001, 2002. But, yeah. yeah, it was particularly crap, and you could sort of take the piss out of Arsenal fans for the, because of the, how crap their sponsor was at that time. Yeah,
1: yeah I came across this. I can't remember the name of the club, but in Spain they were um sponsored by a movie company and so every time a, a different film came out they would change the shirt. <laughs> right. was so irritated and it was like Spider Man and they had like a kind of Spider-Man motif. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, innovative, I suppose. But yeah, I didn't I didn't notice the brother, um the sort of like symbolic brother uh sponsor with you know with the Gallagher brothers. a nice little kind of um ironic touch that is.
1: Yeah, it's got a really beautiful motif on the, on the sleeves as well. The kind of Umbro diamond. An Umbro, I think of as a kind of classic football brand. Yeah. You know, it's, not hy- it's never been hyper fashionable, but it's never uh, gone. Yeah,
0: there's a bit about that uh, that particular kit, that era kit, in on, on uh, Man City's Wikipedia page. Mm. Um, it gives special mention to the away kit that, right. that era '93. 94, it says, uh, describes it as one of the worst uh, in Premier League history. (laughs) (laughs) It says says a true product of the 90s was
1: Uh, was, uh,
0: clearly over-designed
1: about that era. It was funny, though, when I was thinking of the top five football tops, I was also thinking of the sort of top five worst. And actually, they're kind of interchangeable. Mm. Some of the football top, some of um, the goalie tops, especially, which are really garish and horrific, have become super hipster. You know, you walk around East London, and I go okay, to an art school and all the art students have football tops, and yeah. like really obscure football tops. Uh, there's a sort of anti-fashion attached to it.
0: Yeah, I think particularly in that era, um, sort of mid-90s, mm. there was this sort of, it was a very particular kind of aesthetic, a sort of like hangover of like rave culture and uh, so it was really kind of busy and really kind of intense saturated colour. But yeah, they they look great now you know as, as time as you know time and fashion has gone in its funny little circle. Um,
1: Give it, everything 20 years and it goes into a kind of cycle of um mm. that's interesting that confluence of acid house and football fans and football casuals and mm. um yeah it's an interesting history i think.
0: Indeed okay well let's move on to number four in your list
1: Oh, okay. So number four. Well, I thought well, I can't have every top from the nineteen <laughs> nineties. My own child. Yeah. Then I thought, well, maybe I should do top five football tops from nineteen ninety-five to two thousand. <laughs> like really
0: niche. <laughs>
1: so I've chosen um, Nigeria uh, international uh, men's team for the World Cup in two thousand eighteen, um, mm. which is uh, y- you know like. In a way, I don't have a huge amount to say about it. It's just an incredibly beautiful top. Um, yeah, it's
0: really gorgeous.
1: Yeah, they've been really creative with it, and uh, Nigeria has a really good history. I mean, they're kind of like a hipster team in a way. And um, it won. It was shortlisted for, I think, it's the Beasley Design Award, which is um, right. held at the Design Museum every year. So it, it has had a huge amount of plaudits, and I know that it it sort of sold out within hours of, of it being announced. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it was like super. Like an original one of these is like hundreds of pounds now.
0: Can I just just dis- describe it best you can because it's quite it's yeah quite a pattern.
1: It's, so the kind of uh, it's kind of crew top, so there's no um, colour, um, and the the chest um, is uh, kind of chevron styling uh, with a kind of lime green, and then the uh, the shoulders um, are the same chevron style but in black. Um so it has a it has a real vibrancy to it and it's that green colour, it just sort of pops.
0: Yeah, it's like a sort of electric lime green. Yeah. And it's doing something very kind of optical, the sort of this kind of um jagged kind of yeah. arrow uh pattern with the with the white and the green. Um
1: it's, yeah. very,
0: it, it's very sort of not psychedelic, but it it's it's very optical.
1: Yeah, and I think it's um, it's obviously tried to capture something of the, the spirit of the team, you know, very creative, forward uh, thinking and, and very attacking. And um, yeah, I, I was kind of thinking when I was looking at the football tops, I mean, they're just very beautiful and they look like kind of abstract paintings, you know, like they're just as formally interesting as, as a lot of stuff I see in galleries. Um, uh, yeah, and yeah, it's just a very uh, stunning top. And I kind of um, wish I'd bought it when it first came out. I thought it'd be quite good for, like, going running in. Yeah,
0: yeah. well, um, if anyone wants to splash out on a present for George, I'm sure they're available <laughs> on eBay. Um, yeah, a
1: yeah, collector's yeah. item now. It's funny, though, because uh, I, I thought, well, I wonder how far I'm not, because I did watch the World Cup, but you forget, you only remember the winner. <laughs> and yeah. I think they went out with the group stage, which is a bit of a shame.
0: It was a particularly good World Cup, wasn't
1: it? Oh, it was stunning! Yeah, I think um, I remember. I was opening a show at Southwick Park Galleries on the final, and it was uh, it was Croatia France, wasn't it? Four yeah. France four 0 and I'm um, I not mean, I just watching the thought. I was just watching the final. I was going to the opening. that <laughs> was like everybody was crowded around the, this laptop screen, and it's like there was a show on as well. There's something that you wrote. The World Cup is, uh, the first World Cup I remember was '94. was, um, you know, I, I think I stayed, it was like really late at night because it was in '94, um, I think it was in Brazil. and uh, it was
0: um, USA.
1: Oh, that was it, yeah. And Roberto yeah. Baggio. Yeah, guy. I did
0: actually, although I wasn't really into football, I did, mm-hmm. did watch the final. Um, yeah. And it was notoriously one of the most boring games uh, in World Cup history. That was awful. It, it, Italy, uh, Italy, Brazil. Um, yeah, it was it was it was nil nil, wasn't it? Yeah, just went went to penalties. I remember I, I was allowed to stay up late um, for that one.
1: Same here. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was not really worth it, really. I don't think England mm-hmm. were in that Walker were they? So bad. No.
0: Yeah, we we um, famously shamefully uh, didn't qualify um, after we lost. Yeah. Uh, we conceded a goal to San Marino, uh, but it was oh. yeah it was it was that Graham Taylor, yeah ill fated era. But yeah, going back to Nigeria, their, their new kit as well, they've, they've released their, their upcoming kit in 2020, mm. and it's uh, very different, but equally exciting.
1: So yeah, it's one of, again, it's one of those applaudits. So I guess once you become known as a kind of uh, hipster team and quite stylish football tops, yeah. um, you've kind of got to keep up the game. I mean, I was thinking... <laughs> Some of the worst football teams. I mean, that like, Norwich City often get like you know the kind of some of the worst. I mean, that yellow and green isn't the, isn't really the sexiest look ever. But if there's any Norwich fans out there. Sorry, but
0: but yeah, it's it's funny like how you know it's like when you like a, a club that you 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 have you know you, you're stuck with it you know and and colours are the same thing. Mm. You kind of you kind of branded and you just love them. You know if it's your club. If it's an eccentric kind of ugly colour, you kind of embrace
1: that as part of your identity. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting and so um, I mean, the thing about football is a bit like y- y- you know you're kind you don't really make a choice in terms of who you support. You sort of just either born into it or it chooses you. Mm-hmm. So there's I mean I have a lot of respect for fans of really bad teams. You know, in a way, it's not as fun when the team. I mean, you're a Liverpool fan, right? And obviously there, but they, they've just. Yeah, well, yeah, I... But you know, I think there's a huge amount of goodwill for that team and Jurgen Klopp because mm-hmm. they've—it's um, such an incredible, exciting team as well. Yeah. Liverpool yeah. deserve it. I, think.
0: But I would say I've got a sort of second club. My my, my local team is is Barnet FC. Oh. Um, I, I'm cheating to have to have two clubs, but but yeah, yeah, when they're in such a sort of like disparity of of leagues, uh, sometimes it's allowed, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've got things that I like root for.
0: Because you're you're a local to to Newcastle, aren't you?
1: Yeah, well, I was born in Newcastle, but my dad, I didn't grow up there. My dad was in the military, so I grew up all over the place. Um, So I was a classic forces kid. Hence, I I have a slight northern accent, I guess, but a lot of people think I'm from Mm. Manchester. Um, But a lot of my family are in Newcastle still, so Newcastle is my team. Um, But I live just near Middlesbrough at the moment. So when I go to the and support Newcastle, I get a lot of dodgy looks.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's so sort of, especially in the Northeast, it must be very sort of tribal.
1: Oh, incredibly, yeah. I worked in Sunderland for three three years and um, blimey, you just would not wear a Newcastle top in Sunderland. It's uh, it, it, People are really proud of, um, I mean, Sunderland obviously aren't very good at the moment. <laughs> But, you know, there was, when they beat Newcastle, they'll, they'll celebrate for the days. You know, it means so much to people.
0: Yeah, well, it's quite sort of binary, I guess, in, in those cities. It's not like you don't have a Liverpool and Everton scenario. It's just Newcastle in Newcastle. And same for Sunderland, right?
1: Yeah, and I think it's also, again, linked to senses of a sense of self-worth and self-identity for the city. I mean, famously in the 80s, you know, Newcastle, like Chelsea fans, you know, is it Harry Enfield, who the loads of money character, where he would, Chelsea fans would come up to Newcastle and, and and basically flaunt their money at Newcastle fans because this was the kind of, you know, Newcastle, the North had been forgotten by Thatcher, you know, it was like London was like where all the money was flooding in. So there was a sense of um, when the team's doing well, um, yeah, there's uh, a sense of like getting one back, I think.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I remember when I used to go see Barnet play. Mm-hmm. You know the the chant in your Northern slums,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: particularly obscene, offensive uh, football chant. But yeah. yeah, that's 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 part of the kind of um, you know the milieu, the often distasteful milieu of, <laughs> of uh, sort of football rivalries. Um, yeah. But that you know that's a part of it, and that's sort of very sort of entrenched in British culture, that British sense of humour. But, um, but yeah, it does sort of, that's why I'm kind of interested in because I, I use football in my work um mm. for the same sort of reasons that you're sort of interested in it, because it does sort of like reveal um, traces of politics and sort of social, uh, social makeup of, of any country. Mm. And um, yeah, I think it just, it just reveals a lot just with it within its sort of within the culture that it that it has.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's, um, there's a quote that I read years ago, I think it was by Gilbert and George, and they were asked about football. yeah, And they were like, oh, you know, football's not really important because there's nothing at stake. And I was like, there's two people there that don't understand what football's about. <laughs> I was like, you know, it, it may just be a goal at stake, but it's again, it kind of comes back to that sense of self-worth. You know, yeah. I think that is deeply social and political.
0: Yeah, it's so tied with sense of identity um, for right or wrong, but you know, there's A reason why it is so popular and means so much to people, yeah. It be dismissed. No, but there we are. Um, let's skip on to number three in the list,
1: okay? So, number three, I've got um Barcelona away kit from 1973 1974. Mm. So this was um the era of Johan Cruyff, who had just been, bought, uh, I think, from Ajax, so like a world record fee. Um, <coughs> and I think. When I was thinking of football kits, I really thought of Barcelona. Um, so this kit is is yellow uh, with a diagonal stripe that's blue and red across the chest. Again, it's like a super simple design. I'm looking at a picture here that didn't even have the, like, the club uh, badge on it. It's um, it's so simple and, and very beautiful. Yeah, it's really so, elegant. It's, this is it's em- it feels like an emblem, and um, it's the colours of the Catalan flag. Uh, so, again, I think what's interesting about Barcelona is the, in the history of football, they only recently got shirt sponsors because um, where everyone else tended to get shirt sponsors from the 70s onwards, Barcelona didn't want to sully the kind of purity of their brand. And then in, I think, 2006 six seven, they got UNICEF, to um, so they yeah. raised money for UNICEF. I don't think it's the same anymore, but I think there's something about, yeah. I think that the idea that they kind of resisted uh, the commercialisation of football for so long is 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 nice, and it's um the Johan Cruyff is that kind of again that that complete footballer, you know. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. They've actually got the um, that similar uh, design as their awake kit at, at the moment, haven't they?
1: Mm, mm. That
0: sort of diagonal sash.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, I, I hadn't. I wasn't familiar with it, I mean it's such a sort of iconic kit anyway, mm. um, one thing about Barcelona is they are sort of slightly, they see themselves as separate from I guess the rest of the Spanish league, um, yeah. the Ca- Ca- Catalan identity that goes with it um, yeah. and it's it's, yeah, it's, a, its a quite inspiring little story that they, they resisted corporate sponsorship, I mean how did they survive financially?
1: I don't know. I think um, I'm not sure. I, I sort of. I'd like to learn more about it, but I think that the the, the Barcelona football team and the new Camp became a sort of central focus point for Catalan resistance. So people speaking the Catalan language, and I think Johan Cruyff had an offer from Madrid, and he decided to because he said he couldn't sign for a football team that were associated with Franco. Uh-huh. So he became a kind of local legend really in Barcelona and I, I'm not sure how they survived but, but again it's that sort of elevating football to a kind of artistic level Um and if nice. you're going to win you have to do it it's like Messi for me Cristiano Ronaldo is like a kind of machine but Messi is the artist you know like it seems, yeah. makes it seem so effortless.
0: Yeah there's a key difference you know um, yeah. you, you, you feel the sort of burning resentment from Ronaldo that Messi is considered the, the better footballer, but you know, it's it's about that kind of God-given talent question mm-hmm. that that Messi just has that magic in his left left boot, whereas Ronaldo, mm. it's 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 more out of like sheer determination and hard work and discipline that he became as as, as brilliant as he is. But yeah, it's, it's not quite as romantic, is it?
1: it's funny isn't it because I often sort of when I'm teaching and stuff I often say to students there's no such thing as talent <laughs> it's all just hard work right. and actually here I am advocating for uh, talent <laughs> and there, of course there is but hard work and discipline aren't bad things to kind of be uh, su- supporting and advocating for but there's, I watch football to escape um, you know it's I, you know as cultural producers, as curators, artists we work constantly in, in We're always working in a way, and football is a kind of a space where I get to daydream. Um, Like I say, support the underdog. You know, when Leicester City won the Premier League, it makes me feel emotional, just thinking about it. Um, You know, when people like Johan Cruyff um, elevate football, you know, when Johan Cruyff, I think was quite a heavy smoker. Uh, There's no images of him. He wasn't particularly healthy, he couldn't run, but he just had this ability to kind of control the ball.
0: Yeah, and transformed the game in terms of how he thought about um, yeah style of play. And he was just one of these iconic figures, and just and had such style as well. So it's yeah. sort of fit, fitting um, that you've chosen chosen the kit from that era. Yeah, is, you know, when you think of players like Maradona, or even you know Gary Lineker playing at playing at Barcelona, mm. there's something about
1: that club that. Mm.
0: There's a sort of mercurial kind of you know kind of sexy brilliance to to them and the way they've always played
1: yeah i think there's yeah barcelona i think Liverpool have a bit of that as well you know um yeah. kind of the they they have a kind of broader people want to support them and and arsenal and arsene wenger you know that they were just yeah. such a beautiful team to watch uh
0: let's move on to where are we next number two in the list
1: Okay, so (laughs) this is quite a hard choice between number two and number one, but I've got a number two. It's a bit different, this. It's George Campos, who was the Mexican goalkeeper in the 1990s. And um, so George Campos basically designed his own kits. And um, he was a goalkeeper, but he also played as a striker, interestingly enough, and scored quite a lot of goals. Uh,
0: 34 goals for Mexico, apparently.
1: Yeah, I know it was, I was looking at this week too. I was like, how many goalkeepers do you know that actually were really good strikers? And I remember it coming across again at the nineteen ninety four World Cup and I do not I don't I don't know how to describe his kits, but they're basically the like multicoloured neon, uh, bright yellow, lime green, pink and orange. Um they're quite kind busy. Of, I, <laughs> It's not something you would wear, but it's um it's, Oh, my my is talking to me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what did do? How do we trigger her?
1: Uh, I don't know. It often sort of talks to me. You know, it's like I'm not sure. But yeah, so they're like dazzle patterns. And they sort of, it's almost like going into battle or something. And you can kind of imagine him saying, I want to make something that's going to scare the hell out of the oppositional strikers.
0: Yeah, or well, at least distract them.
1: Yeah. I just um I urge you if you're listening to this, does just look up George Campos football kits um and you can find they, buy... they are
0: amazing i mean the the things to behold, and even the the design of them, these kind of huge yeah. sleeves,
1: yeah that don't have
0: elbows mm. um it's quite it's it's quite haute couture <laughs> in a lot of ways, but yeah, just gorgeous patterns, yeah um, just really super intense day glow colors um Yeah, quite a remarkable uh, designer.
1: Yeah, they make me think of a lot of kind of Latin American modernist design and and, uh, patterning. It's kind of very vibrant, um, but taking that into kind of uh, 20th century uh, kind of patterning, um, but just these sort of exuberant colours, which sort of suit his personality. Um, He was
0: a, a very eccentric man, to say the least, wasn't he?
1: Yeah, from what I remember, he'd always rush out at strikers. He'd play a kind of sweeper, um, so he would often get chipped. He was quite inconsistent, to be honest. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a bit like Bruce Gravelar, you know, like he would make them spectacular saves, but he'd also let the really easy ones in. Um, it's not something I would ever wear. I mean, the Nigerian football top is something I would wear out. I mean, that's beautiful, yeah. top, but this is, this just like an artwork. Exactly. Exactly. Mm.
0: Um, do you know the story, I, think, I can't remember which World Cup it was, but he he missed, <clears throat> he missed all the um, training sessions um, pre-tournament because he was so busy finishing uh, his, the new kit for the World Cup. <laughs> and there's this amazing quote. Mm. Uh, he basically said, well, we always go out in the second round anyway. So I might <laughs> as well look good for the forgettable four-game adventure. <laughs>
1: So, that's, yeah title legend <laughs> i mean that is that is how you play, you know I mean it's like it's not about winning, it's about doing it in style yeah um that's like, that's I, a sort of admirable attitude
0: <laughs> realist I, but romantic
1: yeah, it makes you know it's that sense of again that sort of working class sense of like you dress well, you know you shape you take pride in how you dress when you're going out to a club. Or, You know, on a Saturday night and um, and football, the idea of the football casuals, you know, taking football tops and kind of absolutely obsession with spending all your spare money on clothes. Uh, I think there's something really interesting about that.
0: Yeah, we should mention how um, extortionate uh, the prices for for football kits can be. Yeah. Controversial thing over the years, particularly for parents, you know, having to uh, update their children's uh, football kits uh, each season or every second season.
1: Yeah, I mean, a football top for me was always like a Christmas present. Um, it was like you know you get the you get your, you, the, new, the latest Newcastle home kit. But then they introduced um, it was interesting. The government regulators tried to stop them price fixing to, to to maintain the high prices. So all of the football teams released third kits, <laughs> which nobody ever wears. But this is just basically another line to get more money out of people. I mean, I don't know what the Newcastle third kit even looks like. Yeah, it's,
0: it's, it's quite it's cynical. Quite- Mm. Um, I'm going to bring up the the famous story of um, Man United's uh, cursed kit, the grey kit.
1: Oh, I was thinking of selecting that actually. Yeah. <laughs> do, you want, do you want to cool. tell the
0: story of of that? Who don't? For my, don't
1: they they played Southampton, and this is in the mid '90s, and they had this grey yeah, kit. It was like the third third kit or something, an away kit. And then I think were... it
0: was the main away kit. Ah. Apparently, there'd been five appearances before, and they'd lost every one. Yeah. So it was, you know, it was seen as this cursed
1: kit. Yeah. And, yeah. So they, it was, it
0: was it, Southampton.
1: They got rid of it at half time. I think cause they were losing three 0 and Alex Ferguson was so angry. He said, "Nobody, I can't see you on the pitch. You're invisible." This idea that the kind of kit was acting as some kind of camouflage, and it it looked kind of like um, TV static. It was pretty gross. Yeah. Um, so they came out in uh, blue and white. I think in the second half, it's the, 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 their other kit. And it never got worn ever again. It was, it kind of went down as like the worst kit ever. Um, yeah, but... I think
0: the I think it might have been Umbro. Uh, the, the the mate were absolutely furious about it because of course, um, you know they just launched it and yeah. nobody wanted them. But also for parents who bought bought the kit, their kid didn't want to wear it either, so they had to buy another one.
1: But it's interesting, I think, because of the '90s. I think with the Premier League changed the kind of demographics of who was into football and who was wearing kit. So a lot of the fashion shifted to. I mean, my understanding of that kit was that it was a bit more like streetwear. Yeah, yeah, no, th- th-
0: that point in the '90s, it, it football became fashionable in general after mm-hmm. the sort of nadir of sort of late '80s and early '90s. It by the time Euro '96 came around. Mm. Uh, it was sexy again. It was it was respectable again, and you know you you could sort of you, yeah, people were wearing football tops as sort of casual wear in general.
1: But I think it was also to get away. The eighties was so synonymous with football hooliganism, yeah. uh, and football was seen as quite a nasty sport. And um, obviously after Hillsborough, and really, you know, kind of. Um, uh, really traumatic events. I think football kind of had to change and then it became this global thing that we know now. But I think that the, the, the sort of the sports manufacturers followed that. Um, yeah, I mean, I used to buy football tops, but they were always like out of date, you know, it would always be like that Juventus football top and we would just kind of play, you know, at school with kind of these tops because they were just, they were fashion items.
0: Yeah. It yeah. was always a problem if you um, if you had a player's name on the back of your shirt. Yeah. Because, you know, once they, they leave at the end of the season, you know, oh. you're, you're lumbered with it.
1: Well, you know, it was like in sort of 94, I think Andy Cole was my favourite footballer. Um, right. And I had a Newcastle top with Andy Cole on the back and then they sold him to Man United. Yeah. And I was so upset. And he was our star striker. And, um, yeah, it was awful. It was, it was good. Was good. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I've still got a Harry Kuehl Liverpool token. <laughs> <laughs> my he parents' was... house and my... what a disappointment Harry Kuehl was. At Liverpool. I was so excited oh, when we bought him.
1: Yeah, yeah. cute. <laughs> yeah. He's Australian, wasn't he?
0: Yeah. He was great at Leeds. But
1: mm. you know. A lot of players have really failed at Liverpool. I think it's the pressure.
0: Yeah. Um thinking of people like um what's his name? But like Ben Teke
1: for yeah. example,
0: recently, you know, was so good.
1: And, yeah. Rob Keane as well, he went to Liverpool and didn't really do anything there.
0: No, no, there's, there's been quite a few over the years, in the fallow years. So uh, I think we're coming up to number one in the list. Uh, can you r- reveal the top of the pop?
1: Um, so my absolute uh, favourite football top of all time is uh, probably not much of a surprise for people. Newcastle United... Um, home and awake actually from sort of 96-97 90, when Newcastle were really at their kind of apex you know they were doing the, with Kevin Keegan as the manager um,
0: Was that the, the famous year? The, the love it year was that
1: 96? <laughs> I think it was probably 95-96 I think it was after Liverpool we lost to Liverpool um, which I remember watching the game on match of the day and I think we needed to win it And then it just all crumbled from there. Was that that really
0: dramatic game, the 4-3? Yeah. Dan Collymore game.
1: Oh, man, it was amazing. I think it was, uh, yeah, we took the lead and then they pulled one back. And um, I remember just thinking, yeah, blimey, we're going to lose it now. But we were like... still,
0: Still ranked as one of the great Premier League games.
1: Yeah, I mean, you ca- I don't know if you've been watching Match of Their Day, the kind of um, top 10 you know, strikes of the Premier League era and the top 10 incidents, and so many of them involve Newcastle United, except Newcastle United actually winning anything.
0: <laughs> it, it, it comes up every year, doesn't it, when a team is sort of ahead at Christmas, and mm. we say, no team <laughs> has been so far ahead in the league and hasn't gone on to win, except Newcastle in 1996. <laughs>
1: You know what was more traumatic as a Newcastle fan was they got to the FA Cup final in 98 and lost and then they got to mm-hmm. again in 99 they lost as well. So both years yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> And um, obviously I was still at school, I think I was at sixth form and people were just rib- ribbing me all all the time, you know. I was, you know when I traveled like, like a couple of years ago I was in, in Uganda and uh, everyone's football mad and they were like who do you support and I said Newcastle United and they would all go oh I'm so sorry. <laughs> feel <laughs> really, 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 really sorry for me, but yeah, this this sort of top. Why it's so iconic for me um, is it has a kind of. It was like a retro top when it came out, so it's like a granddad kind of crew neck with buttons.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but then you've got the Newcastle Brown Ale logo on the front of the of the, of the top, um, and it's a, a classic Adidas fit. I mean, it's it's just a very beautiful top, and it's regularly kind of voted as one of the best. I mean, in a lot of the lists I was looking at, it was regularly voted number one. So Newcastle have won something—the best-looking <laughs> top—and
0: <laughs> it's a—it's re- a really great design, anyway. They the, the it, it sort of like reflects Newcastle's slightly sort of independent spirit, kind of
1: mm. identity,
0: anyway. The—the the black and white stripes. There's yeah. Something, there's something. Um, kind of iconic about it
1: well I thought I knew why it was black and white and I remember this and it was must be an urban myth but um, I thought I'd have an interesting story to tell people but I thought it was black and white because of the mining tradition that you you know you're black and white yeah you come up and you're black and white but um, actually no it, it's really it's basically uh, Newcastle played Arsenal at, like the late 19th century and they both wore red um, right. so it would often happen that teams would show up and they'd be in the same colors so then they changed to black and white um, so that they were different to Arsenal. But um, I mean, what was interesting, sort of in the research of this, was Juventus, who also wear black and white. And do you know the story about yeah. why they're in black and white?
0: Yeah, it's because of the Welsh player, isn't it? That used yeah. to play for which club is it that also has Notts black and white?
1: Knotts which...
0: County. That's it, Knotts County, yeah.
1: I mean, Notts County. The reason the Juventus, one of the biggest clubs in the world, play because <laughs> he just bought their kit over from Notts County.
0: That's great. Yeah, he's still a total legend, isn't he? What, what was his name?
1: I can't remember.
0: John. Uh, but yeah, it's it's great. It's like the most glamorous club in world football. But yeah, it's 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 origins lie with Notts County.
1: They still play them Notts County Juventus in friendlies every summer. Really. Yeah because of this history I think that's really interesting. That's great.
0: Yeah. yeah. But um I can't remember which comedian it was uh describing what it's like to go go up to Newcastle and seeing a sea of walking barcodes. It's <laughs> a great description. It's true because <laughs> no. everyone wears the top like normal people just I think more so than any other city.
1: Oh, it's incredible on match day, yeah, because St. James Park is in the centre of the city. And I, um, so like I said, I didn't grow up in Newcastle, but I went back to do my BA at Newcastle University. Um, So I've lived there on and off through the years. And on a match day, everybody's wearing black and white. And when Shearer was playing and he would score a goal, honestly, the the sound was incredible. But you you couldn't really hear it next to the stadium, but the sound would mushroom and you would just hear Sheer sheer and it was just that uh, you'd get like kind of goosebumps walking around it was incredible um, we haven't we haven't really had it as good since then to be honest um, and the kits yeah. have got worse as well, well
0: success, success might be on its way <laughs>
1: along
0: with the billions that are flowing into it but who Let's we'll see, see. It. i mean do you do you believe in um, the sort of theories about the possible advantage to uh, connected to the color of a, of a football team or a sports team because yeah. there is this theory that that red uh, is, is more than a, a kind of coincidence how many successful mm. uh, sports teams play in red
1: wow that's really interesting um, uh, I don't know but um, I'd not really considered it I think I do think having a good Having a good kit is important, I think, but, you know, like you want to rock up to a stadium in a good kit, you know, rather than a, rather than a bad top. I don't know if it necessarily has an effect on the results. I mean, I, it's interesting now, obviously, because there's no fans in stadiums. And, and something I read years ago was um, about the idea of home advantage. Um, so after the First World War, when a lot of the people came back, all the soldiers, and they went back to play for foot, football teams, home advantage mattered less. If you look at the data analysis... Um, home teams uh, suffered quite poorly, like they didn't win as many games. There was a sense, I think, and this is what the article was saying, that the um, footballers had become estranged from their own homes because they'd been away and suffered this immense trauma, and I thought that was super interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's obviously very pertinent now with these kind of empty Mm -hmm. stadiums, and so that the It's always been kind of curious to me, like how it makes such a difference. You'd think it's sort of kind of elementary, 11 against 11, but, um, you know, the data always shows, you know, home advantage is a real thing. Um, And the fact that 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 the home crowd can actually kind of will you on in that way psychologically or intimidate the opponent.
1: Yeah, I definitely think there's something in that, and I, I have seen a few games just on TV um, since that since it's kind of started again in the last few weeks. And the games haven't they've been quite slow. Um, yeah. They feel a bit like training sessions. Yeah, it's quite odd, um, and they have these weird kind of piped in sound over the top. It's so <laughs> where it's like someone misses and it, and then the crowd kind of go ooh. I don't
0: know. I don't know if it's like an algorithm or something. Sometimes it goes slightly wrong if it's like a, a near a near miss. <laughs> The crowd start to cheer, the and then it stadium? instantly switches to. Ooh. I That's
1: couldn't figure out whether they're playing it in the stadium or not. Or just I just don't them. think
0: so because you can you can actually uh, select to have the sound of the stadium on Sky Sports. I think on on BBC's uh, digital platform as well. You can, you, it's it's optional to have the the fake crowd noise. But yeah, I think that concludes our list. Um I've I've really enjoyed it. Thanks um, very much
1: for the invitation and to be able to talk about football for a change.
0: <laughs> yes. No, thank you so much, George. And yeah. thanks everyone for listening. Bye bye.